Hey, good morning, guys. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins, and I decided to wake up and do a quick Black Financial Report to uh, let you guys know what's going on in the economic world as you start your day. So we will get started now. So here's what's going on. Uh, basically, China is... Um, really doing some amazing things uh, during the pandemic. Uh, we basically have a situation where um, a lot of the economic returns that might normally accrue in the United States um, are happening in countries where the pandemic hasn't left the country frozen. Uh, so uh, here's here's the deal. I'm going to read some of this Wall Street Journal article to you and uh, kind of put it into context. Uh, and from what I'm seeing you know, uh, through my eyes. Uh, so in the Wall Street Journal, this article is called uh, U.S. Firms Get Another Boost from China. And uh, it says China's bolstering American firms grappling with a surge in COVID cases that is tempering demand in the U.S. and Europe. Country uh, Companies, including Coca-Cola, General Motors, and Estee Lauder, said they got a lift in the September quarter from Chinese consumers who spent big on soda, perfume, SUVs, and other products. The latest results extend a trend that began earlier in the year as China recovered from the virus. But the Asian country's return to business as usual has taken on added importance for American firms now that new cases are soaring elsewhere. The U.S. recorded more than 102,000 cases on Wednesday and also Germany, France and the U.K. have restrictions. So so here's what's here's what's going on. Uh, basically, China is. Um, China's moving on. They're moving forward, uh, despite what's going on with the pandemic. Uh, China, I always knew China was going to recover first because China has a different kind of, of fortitude when it comes to uh, how they view the world and how they view life. You know, it's, it, it reminds me of the same reasons that they allow for more stem cell research than we do. Uh, they kind of view human life differently. It doesn't mean they don't care about human life. It just means that they're not going to stop feeding 1.2 billion people because, you know, 200,000 people died, right? It sounds pretty crass. It sounds pretty terrible on the surface, but it actually can make sense if you look at things in a certain way, right? Uh, so here's the deal. Uh, basically, China's economy is exploding right now, not because they got rid of the of the virus. They didn't get rid of the virus. They're lying about that. It's exploding right now because they said, you know, we're going to keep our people safe. We're going to deal with the virus, but we're going to also move forward with the economy. We got to have people eating. You know, this is not this isn't one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, we got to take care of the capitalists. You know, in America, we I think we get a little bit overly sensitive and we start saying, oh, you're an evil capitalist. You think money is more important than human life. No, I, I just think that people should be able to feed their kids. Right. Like, that's it. <laughs> you know, like, That's what it is. You don't have to be a hardcore capitalist to want to feed your kids. And so, uh, you know, with China, I've seen a country that just said, you know, we're going to take some losses and take some hits. But it's like a military. You know, when you go to battle, you know that some people are going to die, but you go to battle anyway. You know, imagine if if, if every time there was a battle, uh, we never went to war with, a, you know, a country was invading us, but we never fought back unless we knew for sure that nobody was going to die on our side, that we wouldn't lose a single soldier. Well, that that wouldn't make any sense. Right. So. 
that's kind of what this is. This is a this is a war. This is a political war. Um, China's achieved tremendous gains uh, during the pandemic. Uh, during the pandemic, their global power has risen immensely. Um, Ashley uh, is asking, should we invest in China? Yeah, um, I, I invest in China. I'm not saying you should. I'm just going to say this is what I do. This is not investment advice. I have to say that for legal reasons, but. Um, I invest in China because that that's where the action is. That's where the the money is. That's where the money's going. Going. <clears throat> if you want to understand poweronomics, um, you should study China because China embraces a lot of the principles of poweronomics. They embrace group group economics. Um, they embrace um, uh, forward thinking, long term planning. Uh, China's in the middle of a 100-year plan for for world economic domination. They're not even done with the plan yet. The plan was uh, started maybe about 50, 60 years ago, and they're halfway through it, and they've already dominated the world. So China eventually is going to own a whole lot of your stuff. They're going to own a whole lot of Jamaica. They already do. If you go to Jamaica, you'll find that the Chinese made um, uh, they bu- they built this highway that connects Kingston all the way up north to uh, I forgot what it's called, but whatever's up in the north, right? Before it would take three hours to make that drive. Now it takes about ni- about less than ninety minutes, and uh, there's this highway, and the tolls are pretty expensive, so a lot of people can't afford to use the highway. But from what I read, China made a really long term deal with the Jamaicans that does not work in Jamaica's favor. They made a really long-term deal with the Jamaican government to build this road. And it's a great road, but Jamaica's going to pay the price. You know, Jamaica, you know, it's, it's going to be owned by the Chinese. Africa, a big chunk of Africa is going to be owned by the Chinese because the Chinese are investors. They they embody, as, as a nation, they embody a lot of the principles that I teach, you know, in the Black Business School, things like that. Um, and these are not the principles of Black people right now. You know, some of you, some of you have these ideas. Some of you think this way. But, you know, when you see, uh, I saw a video this morning of some black people in the black polling office down in Georgia. And they were they were all dancing to a little Kim song in the office because they were so happy that the Democrats are about to win the election. And uh, this is, you know, I, I'm not against dancing, I'm not against voting and all that stuff. But but these these strategies don't work like this doesn't this doesn't accumulate power. It's never worked. You know, we but but we we do it over and over again because it feels comfortable because some of us are comfortable being being victims. Some of us are comfortable uh, being broke. Some of us are comfortable in the struggle. So, you know, we don't have an, a critical mass of black people who really want to get out of the struggle. I mean, me really wanting to solve problems, really wanting to figure things out. Uh, we have a lot of black people that would rather not do anything and not change how we view the world so that we can then go complain that it's really hard to be black. So um, anyway, let me read more of this article to you. Do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button. If you could, please hit the thumbs up button and put hashtag B1 in the chat. If you're black first, put hashtag B1 in the chat. Um, So this was an extraordinary quarter for Chinese uh, consumer consumption. Says the Estee Lauder chief executive, uh, Fabrizio Frida, um, business and consumer, consumer activity inside China has returned. This is big has returned to pre-pandemic patterns in many ways. Cities are bustling with crowds of office workers and traffic on the streets. So in the U.S., people don't want to go into the office. In China, everybody's going to the office. The offices are full. Restaurants, shopping malls, and gyms are packed. Movie theaters are open. Domestic air travel in August inch closer to levels not seen since before the pandemic. 
Chinese retail sales grew in August for the first time in 2020, increasing 0.5% year over year. The recovery accelerated in September with retail sales up 3.3% year over year. Uh, Coca-Cola said it expects to see growth this year in China, even as its global sales continue to decline because of the closure of restaurants, bars, movie theaters, and sports stadiums elsewhere around the world. Chinese consumers are, quote, more or less back to where they were before the pandemic started, though away from home sales aren't quite back to where they were, says Coke's finance chief, uh, John Murphy. Coke reported revenue of $8.65 billion in the third quarter, which was a 9% decline from, from the, a year earlier. Estee Lauder said Chinese shoppers ramped up spending in stores and online, uh, buying expensive skin creams and stuff like that. Also, the company saw tremendous growth in the southern island province of Henan. So the, the point of all this is to say that China's really on the move. You know, the Chinese are not uh, sitting still in fear. They're not frozen. Uh, they're actually making economic decisions that are going to make them strong. And um, and I'm just telling you, there's a different way to think about all this pandemic stuff. Uh, it's it's not, you know, something uh, we're, we're handling it all the wrong way. I'm just going to say that. You know, um, I, I don't I don't really care what people's opinions are on this. I can just tell you as a financial expert, uh, the the price that we're going to pay as a country for sitting here frozen in fear is going to be massive. Uh, you know, I would say during the pandemic, um, first of all, I, I think that we should be open minded about the possibility of some of some of these conspiracy theories that are out there. I know people don't some people like them, some people don't. I listen to all the information. And when people say, yeah, it's possible that the Chinese actually wanted this virus to be out there. Um, I don't doubt that. They're pretty sinister. They're pretty smart people. They they, they play chess. They don't play checkers. And I, I just, it, it, and if they did not have a role in um, facilitating the process, shall we say, uh, or creating the fear that froze the rest of the world, they it is awfully coincidental that they benefited so much from the pandemic. They benefited enormously. They were able to control Hong Kong. I mean, that that was a move they, that they could make before the the pandemic. They before the pandemic, they could not control Hong Kong. After the pandemic, they started passing laws saying that for your safety, we're going. Now, mind you, Hong Kong had a very small number of cases in the city, but they still passed laws that said for your safety, we're going to make sure that you um, that you can't go out. You you can't go out and protest, right? Um, that's that's a that's pretty convenient, right? Um, also, uh, if you notice, China was the first country to recover from the pandemic. They, they claim, oh, it's because we're really smart and we had great shutdowns and we did this and we did that. No, it's because they just, the, the central government said, we're not going to tell you, you know, it's none of your business how many cases we have. We're not telling the whole world, you know, what's going on in our country. We're going to resolve the issue behind closed doors and we don't want to have people panicking all over the place over a virus that, that's going to kill one in every 3,000 people, right? And and while people think that that's crazy and chaotic and terrible, no, there's something to be said about minimizing the amount of panic people have because people will panic over some shit that will never affect them in their life. Like, literally, people will panic over something that that won't ever affect them, you know? And uh, and, and even, even when I see the reports of the, the, the growing number of cases, I don't really care about the number of cases as much as I care about the number of deaths. Um, I, I, you know, Alicia mentioned to me the other day, she said, oh my God, boys, I have another, 
uh, I have a client who caught, you know, caught the virus or whatever. And I'm, I'm not, and my next question is, are they okay? And nine times out of 10, it's like, oh yeah, they're fine. They don't have any symptoms. Well, if they don't have any symptoms, then okay, that puts them in the category of the other millions and millions of people who've gotten it. You know, I, 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 I'm not saying that it's not important. I'm just saying that when you react in such a way to, um, to information, when you panic over anything or you let media kind of control your thinking, you're going to be a slave. You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to have any wealth. You're not going to be able to build anything. If you, if you're broke and you're not sure why that's, that could be why it's, 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 it's by design. You know, most of the people that um, are doing really well financially that I've noticed are people that just kind of move forward. They say, okay, tell me what's going on so I can make sure I keep myself safe and make good decisions. And then they just keep it moving. So I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just going to tell you what my policy is. No matter what the hell they, they tell me on the on TV, I, I, no matter who is going to win the White House, um, no matter what anybody tells me is going on with the virus, we just keep it moving. You know, and thank God I have a, a, I'm marrying a black woman who's open-minded enough. She's smart. She's a, she has a PhD. She's a, a full professor, uh, which is a very high-ranking position in academia. So she's not just an average professor. She's very smart. And I thank God that she is open-minded enough to tolerate me because I will look at something and I separate real from fake. Like instantly I separate that which I believe and that which I don't believe, or I need more evidence on it. Um, I cannot sort of just take in information and say, oh, that must be true because you just said it. I try to figure out what are your incentives for saying this to me? What's the environment right now? What are you really trying to accomplish? And I, the whole year I saw people trying to win an election and I saw them manipulating the public in absolutely egregious ways, highly unethical ways. But uh, anyway, that's, um, you know, but then again, that's why you come to this platform if you do, or maybe you, you, you don't want to come back. It's okay. Uh, but the people that come here, I, I hope that they'll come here because they want an honest, unbiased perspective as opposed to being fed the same nonsense that black people get fed on a regular basis that keeps us sitting still, you know, all the, you know, all the Negroes that are excited and dancing over Joe Biden winning the, the presidency. I want you to go look at their lives and see if their lives actually get better as a result. You know, are they able to be more economically free? Do they own more property? You know, is their family situation better or are they in the same situation they were in before Obama got elected? You know, people are using you. People are manipulating you. People are playing you. And I'm not going to get played. I'm not here to be a sucker. So anyway, do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up button. Please hit the thumbs up button. Share and subscribe button. Um, also, uh, if you want to get text alerts when I go live, please text the word voice to 31996. Text voice to 31996. And uh, you can subscribe to the blackfinancialchannel.com. I go live on the blackfinancialchannel.com several times a day where I talk about you know what's going on with the financial markets, things like that. Right now, the stock market is uh, it's going through an interesting transition. You had a really great uh, week. A lot of money was made, and I'm very happy for you And because I made money too. But don't get too excited about that because uh, I see some uh, storm clouds on the horizon, at least in the short term. This is not long term. This is short term. In the short term, uh, you're going to see a contested election, which is going to cause market volatility. Uh, also, you're going to see, uh, first, uh, also, there's no guarantee that there's not going to be a blue wave. That has not been ruled out yet. The reason the market went up was because they said, poof, 
there's not going to be a blue wave. That means there's probably not going to be higher taxes and additional regulation on tech firms. So a lot of companies went up in value because of that. But it's not over yet. There's still some races that are still yet to be settled. Um, and uh, and that's something that's still out there. And then also, this election is going to be contested. I'm telling you, this is not going to be one of those like, okay, we got this wrapped up. It's done. Biden's our president. It's looking like Biden's going to win. But there are these lawsuits being filed everywhere. Um, I'm getting tons of messages uh, where the Republicans are pretty ramped up over voter fraud allegations. They're claiming that dead people are voting and that there are some counties where 100% of the county voted Democratic and or that the turnout was larger than the population of, of, of registered voters. I have no idea what's true and what's not. I don't care. It's, it's, that's, I mean, I care, but I don't. I care, but I don't. Let me say that. I care about what happens in my house. I care about what happens to you. I don't really care about what happens out there. I honestly see a lot of those as white people problems. I, I, I just do, but maybe I'm wrong. But either way, though, this is going to be a contested election. This is going to be messy. And messy is bad for investing. The, the, the stimulus package, don't know when that's coming. They need one. They should have passed one. They didn't pass one because they wanted to win the election. They wanted to starve you out. They wanted to starve you because they understand that pain is pain and fear are greater motivators than than anything else. Pain and fear. So if you're sitting there and you're hungry and you can't pay the bills and you and your kids are about to be evicted, they don't really care so much about that as much as they care about who you blame it on. That's one of the flaws of Washington. They they care about whether or not you blame it on Trump or, or Biden. Like that's what it is. I mean, I, I think I think that the the Democrats basically wanted you to go through as much pain as possible. That's why Nancy Pelosi refused to make a deal. She would not make a deal on the stimulus package, even though people in our, in our own party were telling her to make a deal because people needed the money. But she was holding out because she wanted to win the election. So it's really fascinating, actually. And I might actually break this down a little bit later. But Nancy Pelosi and Ice Cube, in a way, were, are kind of similar. This is what they have in common. I, I'll have to mention this Ice Cube when we talk again because because I, 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 I feel like this, you know, if you think about it, right, Ice Cube's argument is, even if we uh, have to suffer through another four years of Trump, it's worth it because we'll get the long-term benefit of getting a better deal for black people, right? That, you know, he negotiated the $500 billion or whatever to be added to the platinum plan. And uh, and he didn't care about talking to the Democrats or Republicans. And, he, and so people was, were basically saying, no, 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 no. If, if Trump gets reelected, it's going to be terrible. We're all going to die. It's going to be horrible, you know, even though we just survived four years of Trump, but whatever. Like, I guess people... Fear is a powerful thing, like I said before. So um, Ice Cube, was his, it seems like his argument is, look, we'll have a short-term price to pay, but we'll get a long-term benefit because you've been doing the same thing for 60 years and it's never, ever done anything for your community. Your community has not literally sat still. Malcolm X literally gave speeches in 1961 that could be applied in 2020. That is really fucked up. Like, that's really fucked up that Malcolm X was talking about things in 1961 that could literally that speech the some of speeches word for word could be replayed in 2020 and the same issues would still apply and 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 what's really unfortunate is it may be the case that in the year 2100 the a speech that I give right now could be applied to the year 2100 because you have black people that refuse to move forward right so ice cube was making a trade off look we got we we'll have we we'll have some short term discomfort for some long term gain uh nancy pelosi was kind of doing the same thing you know, for her, the long-term gain is we can get Trump out of office. The short-term 
price was, you know, we're going to be a little uncomfortable. We're not going to get a stimulus package. Right. Um, and so who knows who's right? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I personally think that what Pelosi did was wrong. But then again, I don't think that what Ice Cube did was wrong. So it really comes down to um, how you view things, you know, in, in a given situation, what your preference is. And that's how investing kind of works. A lot of investing comes down to preferences. You know, like so somebody says, hey, Doc, should I invest in oil? I would say, well, there's no yes or no answer to that question. Or if somebody says, should I take short-term money or long-term money? You know, there is no yes or no answer to that question, right? It depends on what you need. It depends on the nature of the investment. It depends on the risk parameters. It depends on a lot of factors that some of which I can't answer for you, right? So a lot of times when you ask me a financial question, I'm not going to give you a yes or no answer. I'm going to say, well, it depends. Give me more information. And then I'll tell you how to make a good decision for yourself. Right. So anyway, um, I'm not going to keep going <laughs> about this. I know we started talking about China, but, you know, you're all my people. So I'm going to tell you what's on my mind on, on a given day. Uh, I don't know how we got from China to Ice Cube, but hey, that's 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 what I do. That's that's how I think. Um, so anyway, do me a favor. Please hit the thumbs up button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button. Also, you can text the word voice to three one nine nine six and you can get text notifications. Um, I'm going to go live a little bit later today. We got some good interviews coming. I, um, I know I'm interviewing the, the minister of wellness uh, about black health and how uh, we can actually increase, improve our health and strengthen our immune systems and things like that. <clears throat> um, you know, particularly during this particular time where many of us are dying more than other people because we are trained to, you know, eat Popeye's chicken and shit like that. Um, so let me see here. Uh, let's see. I do not own NIO. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. NIO. I, I've heard a lot of people talk about that stock. I'm going to look it up. Um, let's see. Hero says that's dope, bro. You must be loving it. Loving what? I don't, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, uh, balls. Bale says, I love the knowledge. Good. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that this is helpful to you. Um, I don't think like everybody else, um, that, you know, my goal was not to think like everybody else. I don't want to think like the typical Negro. I just don't. I don't want to think like other black people, uh, at least maybe I want to relate to black people where I, like I want to understand black people, but I don't want to be like all the black people I know. Um, and I know that sounds kind of strange to say, but I don't want to emulate that behavior. I don't want to emulate the behavior of, of a community that's losing. I want to um, help visualize the behavior of a community that's winning. Right. I, I, I That's why I, I, I read Powernomics and I, and I look at Dr. Claude Anderson's vision of what a strong community looks like. And, and that's the behavior I emulate. I don't, I don't emulate the behavior of, of uh, you know, of slaves. Um, I, you know, I grew up in Kentucky. I grew up around the slave talk and the slave behavior. Um, I even had a point in my life, to be honest with you, where I had to get away from a lot of my black male friends. You know, I have a lot of brothers that I, that I, I love to work with and really good guys. But some, you know, some of the behavior I saw didn't make any sense to me. You know, I'm I'm a two plus two equals four kind of guy. You know, I, I'm very logical in terms of, of I'm almost, I mean, who knows? I, I get emotional, but there's a part of me that's almost like Dr. Spock in Star Trek, where I'll say that doesn't make any sense. If you're trying to actually be healthy, you know, why would you be eating that? Or if you're trying to actually be successful, why don't you do your homework? You know, like I, I like that's basic stuff, but that's literally how I would think. And I would just observe the difference between what we say we want and what we do in order to obtain it. Like like you say you want to lose weight, but you're eating Doritos all day long, every day. And you didn't get off the couch. 
you say you want to be a millionaire, but you don't save, you don't invest, you don't have a business, you're not buying, you don't own real estate, you don't own any stock. So how exactly are you going to be a millionaire? Um, I remember in college, I would see guys that didn't study that much. They study maybe about three hours a week. Um, they would go to all the parties and uh, they would drink a lot and they would have sex with every girl that moves. And I remember thinking, if you have sex with that many girls, you're going to eventually catch it as disease. And I had a friend from college that um, we used to make jokes you know, about, about the, the nasty women he used to sleep with. And uh, we would jokingly say, man, you're going to get AIDS, man. What's wrong with you? And years later, he died. Years later, you know, he's on Facebook and he, he got really sick and he died. And everybody was sending their prayers and condolences. And, and I think that they announced that, you know, he died of cancer or something like that. And I didn't say anything, but I thought about what I knew from, about his behavior in college. And I realized, oh, I get it now. A lot of our people, you know, die from things like AIDS, but we don't announce it as that. We call it something else. We say, oh, because that's, there's, there's a stigma attached to that, right? So, you know, I think early in the game, um, one of the best things I got from my parents is um, the ability to connect the dots on consequences, you know, that you and your choices are the number one uh, factor in determining how your life ends up. Uh, I don't care if you're black, white, green, or otherwise, what you do is going to be the number one determinant in where you end up. You know, if you're a father, whether or not you choose to pick your kids up every day is going to determine whether or not your kids like you or don't like you or trust you or don't trust you. You know, if you're a mother, um, you know, the type of men that you choose to let into your life is going to play a big part in the outcomes of your relationships. Uh, what If you're trying to lose weight, like when I, when I was overweight and trying to lose weight, when I chose to stop eating bullshit and start exercising, I started losing weight. Uh, and this ain't got nothing to do with white supremacy or the white man. The white man does not live in my house. You know, he does not, he has nothing to do with how I raise my kids every day. He has nothing to do with whether or not I choose to get up and pick up a book or pick up a beer, right? He has nothing to do with whether or not I choose to um, love my black woman or treat her like shit, right? So uh, just be smart, you know, I mean, you know, just make different decisions. I'm telling you, some of this, this slave culture, you got to get away from it. You got to create a new culture. That's really what it is. You you have very bad culture in your community, when it comes to uh, economics, that's why the community is broken. And they say, oh, it's so, so hard being black. Um, well, maybe it's because you're a white supremacist. Like you, you choose to keep yourself in that situation. Uh, so anyway, let me, let me go. Let me, let me move forward here. Um, do, uh, if you want to get a free e-copy of my book, it takes a village to raise the bar. You can actually go to allblackeconomics.com. It's right there. So feel free to go to allblackeconomics.com. The book is totally free. You don't have to pay for it. And um, also you can text voice to 31996. And, um, and get text notifications. Um, uh, do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button. Please hit the thumbs up button. Uh, when did we start? I don't remember, uh, Brandon. I don't remember when, when we started. I think we started a few days, a few, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes ago. 27 minutes ago. 27 minutes. 27 minutes and four seconds. Um, let me see. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to read here. Urban tea is a Chinese stock to get while it's cheap. Okay. So original man likes urban tea. I know nothing about urban tea. Don't wait for boys to say it's okay to get NIO stock. Get the stock now while it's low. Um, well, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, don't wait for boys. Yeah, he's right. Damani is absolutely right. Don't wait for boys because, you know, I, I do, you know, make recommendations, not even recommendations. I let you guys know what I'm buying. Um, and one of the things about investing that that's a little bit, 
hard to help everybody understand is that there are these things called um, it's called the efficient markets hypothesis. And, and what the efficient markets hypothesis says is that whatever the stock price is, that's what it's supposed to be based on available information. So when somebody tells you, oh, this stock is really cheap, it's really going to go up. Well, if, if that were unanimously true, if that if, if, if the whole world really, you know, if, if all the investors had the same information and really knew that it was going to go up, then the price will go up. It's like if you go into the mall and 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 you see that there's two cereals that, that are identical and one of them costs eight hundred dollars and the other one is seven hundred dollars or whatever. I mean, I'm using weird examples, but you get the point. Um, and they're the same. Let's say they're the, they're the same brand, you know, the same you know Toshiba or something. And they're right next to each other. And one is $100 more than the other. You could go in and say, oh, my God, wow, I got the I got a stereo that's just as good as the one next to it for $100 cheaper than than than, than the more expensive one. Right? You could make that assumption. But a smarter person would say, well, there must be a reason why this one's 700 and this one's 800. Right. And you would look until you found the reason. So when you find a stock that's really, really cheap or a stock where the price has gone down. Sometimes I'm not going to say it's impossible to find a stock that, you know, that is a little bit mispriced, but it's usually not probable. Um, you know, it's it's almost like a type of superstition in a way where there are people that believe that there are significantly undervalued stocks. And I and I do think that there is something to be said about analyst ratings and things like that. But it's particularly in a time like this, because during COVID, you had um, a lot of um, imbalance in the market, a lot of volatility. A lot of people trading on things other than information about the company. So in a way, for example, you, you, you had times where maybe a stock really might have been worth $300. But because there was so much fear and anxiety in the market, um, because people were running out of cash, there were liquidity problems that created you know strange trading behavior, maybe that pri- the price of that stock would drop below its true market value, right? Um, and, and I hope I don't talk over people's heads when I say that. But basically, it's kind of like, if you go to a mall where everything normally is a certain price, there could be times where the prices are lowered because the malls having financial problems, you know, so where you could say, okay, these jeans normally are worth $80, but I got them for 40 bucks. That can happen, but it's not typically probable. Okay. So um, be very careful about assuming that a stock, because the price is low, that that's a good investment. I, I would just say, be careful with that. Don't be surprised if it turns out that there's a reason that stock has a low price. Now, someone was asking, how do you get started investing? Uh, if you want to get started investing, uh, there's a URL, firstsharestock.com. There's a, a free training there on how to buy your first share of stock. Also on firstsharestock.com, you'll get on the email list for the Black Business School. Um, I send stuff out all the time, every day. Um, so you, you will get a lot of information, but you know we're really good at what we do, and, and we can give you more information for free than you probably got in four years of college, even after you paid $200,000. We're really good at what we do. Um, I don't have my PhD for nothing. It was was really hard to get, by the way. You can go read my dissertation online. This is not something where I'm going to, you know, get mad at you because you asked me where I got my PhD from. I'm very happy to tell you I got my PhD from The Ohio State University. I studied under Professor Andrew Caroli, who's now department chair at Cornell University. Um, but the rest of my committee was um, Jayanta Sin. I don't know where Jayanta is, but he was really smart. I think he went to University of Chicago and also David Hirschleifer, who is um, a, uh, one of the he's one of the world's leading experts in, in financial psychology. So uh, he got, actually got me interested in 
things like um, herding behavior, like how people follow the pack. You know, he talked about how investors can do that. And, and it's really coming in handy now because now you have a lot of these Robin Hood traders that are just doing stuff because everybody else is doing it. And if you see people that are sheep that are just kind of following the pack, it's very easy. It's very easy to manipulate the sheep. It's very easy to profit off the sheep because sheep are predictable. Sheep are predictable. I, that's why I'm, I don't want to be a sheep. I'm always going to at, at best or at worst or whatever you want to call it. I'll be a shepherd, meaning that. You know, I'm going to if I'm not leading the pack, then I'm I'm probably not going to be part of the pack unless the pack makes sense to me. Um, but even then, I don't want to be a shepherd because I'm not trying to lead you or 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 persuade you to do something that's not in your best interest. I'd rather empower you to be your own best leader. And that's why knowledge, information and training is so important. I want you to be smart, you know, I mean, because I could die tomorrow, you know, and if I die tomorrow. I want you to have 10,000 videos online that you can go listen to at any time, even if I was dead. Um, maybe kids will be listening to this 50 years from now. I don't know. Um, but then also, I want you to be smart enough to, to say, okay, I can, I can, I got it from here. Like this is, That's your family. That's your life. You know, Stop letting these Negroes tell you what to do and talk you into doing stuff that don't make no sense or have you doing things that are, are not in your best interest. That don't, that's crazy. You know. So um, just keep that in mind. All right, so let's see here. Um, Mark says yesterday was my best day ever in the markets and I've been investing for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I agree with you, Mark, that we have to be in the markets if we want to build wealth. Actually, one of the elements of, um, of, I, 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 I think, I figured this out and I, I've been thinking about this for a while and I, I, I've mentioned it to a few people recently. Um, I believe that the black agenda, I just realized the black agenda doesn't need white people's permission for us to pursue it. Like we don't need the Democrats or the Republicans to give us permission to have a black agenda. You know, the black agenda, I think a lot of it can be implemented without asking for anybody's help. doesn't mean we don't accept it. If they want to, if they want to write a big check, that's fine, but you gotta be real careful because these people are so shady. They'll, they'll help you, you know, with strings attached, you know, like they'll, they'll, they'll help you or they'll, or they'll give money to black people but they'll only pick people who maybe, you know, who are from the LGBT community or something. Like it'll be some old Black Lives Matter type stuff where their goal. See, you got to understand the nature of America when it comes to money. America does not give any oppressed group of people money without having a political agenda. Give me a yes or no if you understand what I'm saying. Um, you know, like, like, you know, they don't they don't go fund some small third world country. And not expect to have political influence in that country. So you got to be really careful about begging white people to help you. Because when they come and help you, you know, they're going to be like the man who says, baby, I'll help you pay the rent. And he shows up with his penis out. Like, seriously, like, that's what they'll do. They'll <laughs> knock on the door and be like, I got all the rent money you need. <laughs> you know, and, and, the, and next thing you know, you know, you 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 getting an indecent proposal. Um you know, so you got to be real careful. I mean, if you ain't ready to give it up like that, you might want to figure out how to get the rent money on your own. You know, and, and a lot of black folks ain't ready for that kind of logic. You know, they, they they think that that's I don't know. Some people will complain about that. But I'm saying that freedom ain't free. Freedom is not free. And if you want real freedom, sometimes you got to just, you know, it, it sucks. It ain't right. You know, like we know we got robbed, you know, all these all these things. Right. But. Sometimes you got to do things on your own if you really want to be free. Like, do you, do you know how much more money I could make 
if I went and worked for white people or if I went to Wall Street, you know, I mean, my expertise was pretty deep. I trained hundreds of students who went to Wall Street and made millions of dollars. So if the people I trained went to Wall Street and made millions of dollars, you don't think I could do that too? All I got to do is play ball. All I do is play the game, right? But I said, you know, it's okay. I really don't, I really don't need your money. I'm all right. I don't. And one of the ways I, I reduced my dependence on their money was I, I reduced my need to have material possessions in order to feel good about myself. I don't need a, I don't need, I don't need a Gucci bag. I don't need, you know, to drive a, a fancy car. I could, I could buy one now. You know, I'll tell you the truth. I'm not a broke person. I'm a good investor. Right. But I did that on my own. You know, before I think about getting money or taking anybody's any any money from anyone, first thing I look at are the sources of where that money's coming from. All money ain't good money. If you don't hear anything else in this conversation, please hear that. All money ain't good money. So when we were up here talking about Mr. Biden or Mr. Trump, please give us X amount of dollars. You know, I say be very careful about that. I mean, one good example was when Ice Cube did go. And he met with uh, the Biden team and then he met with the Trump team. Well, one price he had to pay for getting that 500 billion added to the platinum plan is next thing you know, Trump's people are out here bragging about how they're working with Ice Cube. Right. They're, you know, they, they, they were using his name for political gain. And I, I, I still think the good outweighed the bad. But that's what it is. You know, you dance with the devil. He's going to feel on your booty. He's going to try to do some some underhanded stuff. You know, and so you got to be real careful about taking money from a devil, you know, and I, as far as I'm concerned, some of these people that want to oppress you, they are devils. They are terrible people or or better yet. They just have an agenda. Let's just say that I'm not going to I'm not going to say that they're always, always bad, but I'll just say that they always have their agenda and their preference. You know, so um, if my advice is if I had it my way, um, I would pursue a black agenda that is as independent from other communities as possible, period. It, it, it sucks. It's harder to do. Everybody ain't ready for that. Some black folks, some Negroes can't survive without, without white people. You know, literally they, they need, they need that. They need, they need that validation. Their self-esteem's not there. Um, they, they don't, they're scared, you know? So I, I those people are fine. Like, like I, I think with those individuals, you got to leave them behind a little bit and, and go off, you know, because not everybody's ready to go off and be a pioneer in the woods. You know, when Brigham Young and the Mormons were being persecuted and Brigham Young, Brigham Young gathered about 250 families and he said, let's go out west. You know, there's a place called the Great Salt Lake. Let's go to the Great Salt Lake and let's just set up on our own. Let's just build our own. And uh, when he did that, not every family wanted to go. I mean, there were a lot of people that were scared, a lot of people that didn't believe in what he was saying. They thought it was a bunch of BS. They thought that liberation was impossible or whatever. And those people just got left behind. So they got in these covered wagons and they looked kind of crazy for a while. You know, they went out out west and a third of the families died. A third of the families died on the way, you know, to find this great salt lake where there was nothing there. Right. Except danger. And but but they had a vision, you know, they, they were ready to sacrifice for the vision. And, the, and that's the thing. You have a lot of black people who ain't ready to sacrifice, who, who don't want to be uncomfortable. That's just what it is. Like, and it's fine. They, 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 they got the little government job or whatever. And, and they're just, that's just where they want to be. They want to be safe. They don't want to be, um, they don't want to sort of pursue anything beyond that. Uh, they just don't take away what they have. 
and I get that, right? But there's some of us who have a bigger, bigger dream, you know, some of us who have a vision that's bigger than our reality. Some of us who are tired of the bullshit. I, I'm one of those people. I'm tired of the BS, man. I, I can't, I can't live like this. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be no slave next to you. That's not how I'm, that, I'm not built that way. And, 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 the, and those are the people that I like to talk to because, you know, I, I just believe that determined with determined blackness, you can do anything. I believe the people that are determined to build something on their own can actually do it. If they're really determined, they're really committed to it. So Brigham Young took all these families out there and these this is a small, this wasn't the whole community. This was, these are the people that were brave enough to know that some of them were going to die. And think about this, right? When you go and you do something new, you're going to have bad things happen. It's going to be hard. You're going to lose certain things. You're going to lose your security for a while. So when these families are out there dying in the middle of the freaking desert or whatever, on their way, looking for this great salt lake, I'm sure there were people who were like, this is stupid. Like, you can't do this. Like, what are you talking about? This doesn't make any sense. This is crazy. You should have stayed in New York, right? But then there were some people who kept going because they wanted to get away from the oppression and they saw a bigger dream. So they got out there and they got to the Great Salt Lake. And when they got there, there was nothing there. There were no jobs. There was no, like, McDonald's you could go eat at. There was no, you know, universities that you could go attend, you know, or whatever. There was just nothing. Just, just land. And that's it but nothing. They had to build everything. They had to start planting. First thing they did was they planted potatoes because they said, if we don't plant potatoes, we're, we're not going to be able to eat. Like, that's how crazy it was. And then they started setting up their little businesses, right? And the businesses would be like, somebody would just set up a bank and they would literally have a little building, a shack they would build. And they would put the word bank on the front of the shack and they would keep people's money in like a stove or something. Like the craziest, or somebody, the guy who knows how to pull horseshoes off will become the dentist. Like he's pulling teeth because he knows how to pull off a horseshoe. I, it, it was the craziest stuff. It was bootleg as hell, but it was part of a bigger vision, right? It was the beginning of something like, like your dream. Most of the time, the most beautiful, extraordinary dreams that people accomplish, they start off as little ugly babies. They start off as these ugly little, tiny little crappy little bootleg ass things that you don't think can ever amount to anything. And then they become beautiful over time. And so, so they did this. And so Brigham Young, um, you know, they set up shop in, in Salt Lake City. And year a hundred and something years later, first of all, you got Brigham Young University, which has an endowment that's over a billion dollars. You have Salt Lake City, which is one of the richest cities on the planet. There, there was a story that recently was reported where as quiet as this kept, if the Mormons are economically gangster. Like they are so gangster when it comes to money. I think the Wall Street Journal said, we didn't know that the Mormons had a fund with $500 billion in it. It was some ridiculously insane amount of money where they had just been consistently investing. And these, these little Mormons, little quiet ass people, literally had a fund of half a trillion dollars just that they never told anybody about. You know, I mean, you know, gangsters move with determination. Uh, G's move in silence. You know, you, you, uh, the power brokers make their moves and then they let you know later what they did. They don't, they don't got to scream and holler. They're not, they definitely are not out in the streets screaming black lives matter. Like who the hell are you saying that to who you don't know that black lives matter? Like why you gotta, why do you need white people to know that black lives matter? That right there tells me you're not built for revolution. Uh, you know, hands up, don't shoot getting on your knees with your hands up in the air to my hands up, don't shoot. You're not empowered enough to be part of a revolution if you think that way. Um, what, what's another one that they did? Oh, I can't breathe. I don't want to. 
you know, I'm marrying a woman who's an expert on the subconscious mind. And one thing you do not want to do is constantly keep repeating to yourself, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Because guess what? At some point, you're going to go to sleep and you won't be able to breathe because your subconscious mind will be committed to the idea that you're suffocating and, <laughs> and dying and the anxiety will rise because of that. You don't want to recreate um, self-defeating um, terminology over and over in your head. You want to remind yourself of how great you are. Every day you want to celebrate your extraordinary potential. Every day you want to remind yourself that you can do this. Whatever it is you put your mind to, you can do this. You know, this is this is a little secret of, of you know, uh, of why, you know, every day, if you follow me, you know, every day I'm on it. Every day I'm in it. Every day I'm going. And the reason I do that is because in my head, my internal dialogue is always consistently, repetitively, extremely positive. I consistently practice being a better man than I could, than I ever thought I could be yesterday. I consistently practice that mentally over and over and over again. Even if I think I'm, I'm like a, a size 12 foot trying to fit a size 15 shoe, I still will, will remind myself that I will eventually fit that shoe. So, um, you know, psychology is a big deal. Psychology matters. Culture matters. You know, slave culture will never uh, help us to um, achieve our goals. So anyway, um, I'm going to go. We, we, we talked about a lot this morning. It was really fun talking to you guys. Uh, Sonia Samuel says Eatonville, Florida was built by, uh, built by black people. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of Eatonville. That's a, a great story. Uh, Jessica Hicks. Um, I've seen Jessica Hicks before. Jessica's one of us. I love you, Jessica. You're awesome. That's a big problem with black churches. Often when I would just listen to things that were being said, it was the all poverty minded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me, you know what, let me look this up. I'm gonna Google this. Do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up button. Oh, I can't Google it. Crap. I can't open up a second browser, but there's this song that I was listening to. I, I listened to lyrics very closely and it was a song. Beyonce is actually in the song. I think it's Beyonce. And what's the other guy's name? He sings really well. Um, Alicia made me go to his concert. Um, Anthony Hamilton. And, um, I think, I think it was Anthony Hamilton and Beyonce. And the song was literally like, I'm not worthy. Like that was the chorus. The chorus was like, I, I, it was really depressing. It was like, I've been spit on and kicked around and nobody likes me. And every day when I get up, I just want to lay back down because life is so terrible because I'm not worthy. And I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm not going to sing this shit. I'm not going to repeat this to myself. Fuck you. I am worthy. Like I'm worthy of all the things that God has in store for me. I'm not, what are you talking about? I'm not worthy. Like, I, what do you, you know, like what I, I'm listening. I was listening to the words and I was like, this is the most depressing slave talk I've ever heard in my life. You know, that's, that is the root. I mean, if you want to see the root of a lot of the black self-esteem problems or the root of a lot of, of white supremacy that we carry in our community, it's because we consistently remind ourselves that we're not worthy and that white people are. And then when you when you believe that you're not worthy or you're not capable or you can't do anything on your own, then you're going to go and, and look for a superhero who can help you get it done. You know, and, and so maybe Joe Biden becomes your superhero or it could be Donald Trump or whatever it is, whoever your superhero is. So, um, you know, my daddy's a pastor, but I don't go to church. Um, I don't I don't you know, I don't hate the black church. I don't crap on the black church. Um, I don't speak negatively on the black church because there's so many different churches and they, and you know, they're different, right? You can't put them in one box. 
But that old self-defeating slave talk, I, I don't do that. That That's very damaging to your potential. Because competing against the white man, let me tell you something about the white man. Okay, before we go, I know we're talking about the white man now. The white man is very competitive. And the white man, on, on average, I'm talking about the most accomplished of them, the most powerful of them. He's um, he's very, very confident. And he uh, he's treacherous. Right. I mean, at his worst, he's, he's treacherous. He's real gangster. They'll, they'll work together. They'll surround your ass and they'll beat you down and take all your shit and move on to the next one. Like that. That's what you're dealing with. Right. You're dealing with a bully. You know, Donald Trump. That's why Donald Trump is such an epitome. And Joe Biden, both of these guys are the epitome of, you know, of that so-called toxic white male behavior. Because both of these guys, if you look at their careers and I've read their bios extensively, I've studied their lives. Both of these men are highly accomplished alpha male, white male gangsters. And the thing about dealing with somebody like that, if anybody's ever dealt with a bully, give me a yes or no. Have you ever have you ever had to confront a bully like on the playground or at school or somebody that scared the shit out of you and you just realized it had to be do or die? Like you had to step up or you're going to like keep getting your lunch money taken or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Anybody else that ever dealt with a bully? Like, just say yes, because I, I, I can think about a couple bullies I ran into. And the thing about dealing with a bully is you have to have a certain amount of courage and a certain amount of conviction. Like, if you deal with a bully, the reason that you're scared of the bully, I believe, is logical. Maybe the bully's big as hell and you you know the bully could beat your ass. right? So you don't you don't want to mess with the bully. Um but I remember the only times I was able to ever stand up to a bully is when I basically almost hit like rock bottom and my back was against the wall. And I just said, I don't know what's going to happen right now. I don't know what price I'm going to pay for the decision I'm about to make. I, I do not. I have no idea how this is going to turn out. It'll probably turn out badly for me. But I've gotten to the point where I just can't take it anymore. I've gotten to the point where the the, the price I know I'm going to pay from letting you whoop my ass right now, <laughs> that price is still not higher than the price of me continuing to allow you to treat me in this way or to steal my dignity every single day when I get on this bus. So let's do this. You know, let, let's let's do it. You know, and, and I, I can think of a time with this guy, his name was Mark and Mark was 16 and I was 13. I mean, if, if you remember, you know, a 16 year old fight, a 13 year old fighting a 16 year old was damn near a death wish. Right. I mean, I'm 13. I'm not even fully done with puberty and he's all big with mustache and shit. And um, and but I remember, you know, he used to bully me every day on the bus. He bullied me when I would walk home and he would, you know, stand in front of me and block my path to, to walk to my house. And I just hated it and made me mad. And then one day I just wasn't, I, I was like, okay, I'm not playing this game with you no more. Like, we're just going to have to do this. <laughs> like, and, and and he he stood in front of me. He blocked me again, like he always did. And then he, um, and then I stepped to the left. He stepped in front of me again. I stepped to the right. He stepped in front of me again. And then I just stopped. I froze. Like, it was like a moment of truth. I'll never forget it. And I just looked him in the eye and I gave him a look like, we are really about to throw down. Like I am literally ready to bite off your balls if I have to, in order to win this fucking fight. Whatever happens is going to happen. Like I gave him the look of death. Like I gave him the look of death. Like, like whatever I got to do to make my point to you, I'm it's about to happen. 
And do you know what happened that was really funny? Was right at that moment when he realized that I was serious, he suddenly smiled and laughed and said, oh, I was just playing. And he moved out of the way and he let me go. <laughs> I, I freed myself from that prison of fear because I just confronted it. You know, I confronted the consequences and said, you know, I'm not scared of the consequences anymore. And so I just I, I think that that's kind of, you know, what black people collectively are kind of dealing with. You're sort of being whittled away uh, with, with these microaggressions and this consistent mistreatment and disrespect from whether it's white people, the Democratic Party or the big white boss that you work for who doesn't respect you or whatever, or or economic insecurity that comes from a lack of planning or whatever. And a lot of times you have to really hit rock bottom, you know, where you just can't take it anymore and you're going to do whatever it takes to, to rectify the situation. The reason that I think black people tolerate pain so well and we don't really hit that rock bottom moment is partly because of what we learned in church. Church, church does not teach you how to thrive. Church, church teaches you how to survive. It, it teaches you how to survive in the middle of the worst agony known to man. It teaches you how to just maintain. And a lot of black people, you know, and our, a lot of people in our community are just maintaining. Like they, it's like, it's terrible. I'm sad. I'm depressed. This is horrible. I hate my life. But as long as I can get my little injection of Jesus on Sundays or get my little, you know, get my little false hope from the next Barack Obama that the Democratic Party puts in front of me, I'm, that's going to be enough to get me through. And um, and you hear this actually in in some of our um, our our church hymns. If you listen to "Lift Every Voice and Sing," um, I show respect to that song because other people do. But you know, because I give a lot of speeches and stuff like that, and they'll they'll sing "Lift Every Voice." But I don't really like that song very much because the lyrics are not empowering at all to me. The lyrics don't relate to me in a lot of ways because the lyrics are very much um defeatist downtrodden like we're you know like we're just marching down the weary road it's a bloody road terrible things have happened to us god is going to get us through and never once is there a conversation in the song about you know who did this to you like you're bleeding who who made you bleed right because we're scared of white people we're not going to confront them eye to eye right because that would be a bad thing right for for in the minds of some black people then number two there's no conversation about, you know, getting revenge. There's no conversation about making it right. Um, you know, things like that. You know, th th that's that's disempowering language. Like that's language that is very uh, defeatist. It's, it pretty much says that the most you're going to be able to do is survive the pain and not die. Right. And that's the greatest thing you can take pride in is I've gone through the storm. I've gone through hell and I, I made it. I'm still here. Um, and, and I think for some people, maybe that's enough, but I can definitely tell you as a person who wants more from my life, who wants more from my children. Um, and I always wanted that even when I was poor as hell, when I was getting evicted from my apartment and, you know, and didn't have any money in my pocket. Um, you know, I always wanted more and, and, and that sort of, um, depressing language just never resonated with me. I want to talk about, you know, potential and thriving and, and, and really now that I think about it. Um, the that I'm friends with, you know, people like Ice Cube now, and the reason I always loved his music, I was always an Ice Cube fan. And the reason I liked Ice Cube's music was because Ice Cube was like, he was like aggressive. He was assertive in his music. There was an assert assertiveness that says, if you fuck with me, I'm going to fuck with you. If you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you 10 times more. If you hurt my family, I'm going to deal with you, you know? And, and I like that. I like 
that idea that says, I'm here, I will succeed, I will prosper, I'm going to win. I will compete with you. I'm not afraid of you, right? And and I don't think that we get enough of that in our community. I think that we shun that. I think that now the liberals, because of their effort to feminize the black male and keep the black man as either a little girl or a little boy, um, they now try to define that as toxic masculinity. But that's not, you know, if you're not hurting anybody, there's there's nothing toxic about being strong. There's nothing toxic about wanting more. There's nothing toxic about fighting back. There's nothing toxic about saying, I'm tired of this shit. That, that's not toxic. Uh, that's how you win. So we got toxic femininity in our community. We got toxic, you know, beta male behavior in our community. We, you know, we got toxic white supremacy in our community. All of those things are toxic because they really are poisoning you. The community is poisoned. The community is very weak. So what's more toxic, fighting for what you deserve or sitting back and letting people crap all over you and you're not moving forward? So um, I'm not into toxic behavior. Um, that, that's 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 those are my thoughts. So Butterfly says, um, I got your book yesterday. Which book did you get? Uh, let's see. Yeah, you can text the word boys to three one nine nine six to get notifications when we go live. Um, feel free to do that. Text boys to three one nine nine six. It's right there on the ticker. Uh, let's see. Paul says morning whining session by Dr. Boyce. Uh, kiss my ass. Take your weak ass on somewhere. Um, let me see here. Uh, a coward or a clown will always reveal himself. Absolutely. A hundred percent true. Um, yeah. Well, you know what? The stock market's going to open soon. And so I'm going to go. And uh, if you're watching, if you're listening live, some of you may be listening to a recording, but that's okay too. Um, oh, the online book. Oh, you're talking about um, uh, it takes a village to raise the bar. Yeah. If you go to allblackeconomics.com, you can have that book for free. And that book is one that I wrote in 2013. And it's not long. It's very short. It's deliberately designed to be short uh, because what I wanted to do was break down a very basic paradigm that solves what, in in my opinion, it solves 80 or 90 percent of your problems that you're going to run into as a black person. It focuses on wealth, education, family and community. And, and, And that's what links. That's what syncs me up so well with Poweronomics. Because poweronomics is all about wealth, education, family, and community, right? If we uh, build wealth, meaning if we're making long-term investments for our kids, like we're consistently investing in the stock market and buying real estate, things like that, um, then we won't have a wealth problem anymore. You'll have more money than white people, at least on an individual level, right? If the average white family's wealth is 177000 a year, approximately, um, it's very easy for a black person, even a poor black person to have 177,000 in family wealth within about 10 to 15 years. It's not hard to do. Catching white people is not hard to do if you do it by yourself. You know, don't wait for the other 40 million Negroes to get on board. They ain't coming. A lot of them ain't coming. Right. So uh, so if you focus on wealth, at least to the point where you, you achieve financial security, that solves a lot of your white supremacy problems because you don't have to go work for some Donald Trump type dude who's going to disrespect you every single day, right? So uh, education, education matters because the cultures that are succeeding, the cultures that are um, dominating in this world are those that value education. Our communities that value education get ahead. We're not, we're, you know, slave talk uh, teaches us to not value education. 
And then if we go after education, we kind of do it in the wrong way. We go get a bunch of student loans and then we end up owing white people $250,000 that we can't repay. And also they can give us a little certificate that'll get, that'll prepare us for an imaginary job that we'll never get. And if we do get the job, maybe we're making forty dollars or $50,000 a year, but then you got a quarter million dollars in debt, which is why black wealth is going backward because student loan debt is one of the greatest detriments to black wealth and black progress that I can think of. Okay, so, uh, so education matters, but education ain't the same as going to school. Very important to understand that. Uh, the third component of the new paradigm is family. <clears throat> you need families to build wealth. Families are a source of strength. Families are a natural herding effect that gives you power. That's why uh, human beings naturally form uh, gangs and coalitions. The animals, if you go, when Alicia and I go running every morning, we always see a gang of geese. Like there's a whole flock of them, like hundreds of geese all together. And, and any one geese probably couldn't hurt any of us, you know, right? Because it's just a goose. But if you get, 50 geese that all attack you at the same time, the geese are going to win. And so if you think about this, right, even geese understand the importance of sticking together. They, they, you know, even geese understand the importance of being gang affiliated. You know, even geese understand that, you know, we're better together and geese, they never geese, you know, they don't go to college. They don't, they don't read Malcolm X books. They, they never, you know, a, a, no, I'm getting up. Uh, a, ge a geese, you know, a, a, you know, a geese don't, <laughs> they, they don't need to be trained on this. Um, we need to be trained on what the geese know because we've been trained on things that are harmful and destructive. We've been brainwashed to do things that are going to hurt our ability to be successful. So because we're so committed to poisonous thinking, we don't even respond properly to healthy thinking, right? Um, the third part, so wealth, education, family, the last one is community. Uh, all the community is really is a collection of families. All families are as a collection of individuals. So my model, my paradigm of black leadership and black, black progress is you start with the empowerment of the individual, you know, liberate yourself first and then you can liberate others. So if you liberate yourself first and then also in the same time, you're working with like minded people that can be of support to you, then you become a greater asset to your family. And then if you have a community full of strong families, then you're going to have a strong community. Right. All that has to happen at that point is you got to link up your weakest links are what's destroying a lot of your families. You know, you got that cousin that's hooked on crack or that other or that brother who don't want to do shit, want to sit in his, you know, sit in his drawers in the basement, smoking weed and playing Xbox all day. Or that other person, you, you got a sister who will borrow money from her relatives and never pay it back. Like this tr trifling bullshit behavior is what actually breaks down the quality of a unit. It happens globally as well. The European Union kind of had that problem. The European Union was a very strong economic union that literally created trillions of dollars in wealth in Europe because they all agreed to have a common currency. They agreed to, to allow um, uh, fluid fluid trade between the different countries. They formed a coalition that made them very strong relative to the rest of the world. Well, the European Union fell apart because Greece, Greece was not upholding this end of the deal. Greece wanted to just kind of do its own thing. They wanted to benefit from the family but didn't want to contribute to the family. Like Greece has sloppy fiscal behavior. Their debt levels are unsustainable. They don't want any sort of, um, of budgeting process, you know, that, that makes any sense in their country. So Greece was destroying the, the Euro. They were destroying uh, the European union with their irresponsible behavior. So, so Greece was kind of like that raggedy ass cousin who wants to benefit from being in the family, but steals from the family. You know, he's taking money and, and not paying it back. He's, distracting the family he's he's getting he's you know he's taking family resources because he needs to keep getting bailed out of jail and all this other stuff you know so basically the reason um that you had brexit the reason england left the european union was they said we're not trying to keep you know taking up the slack for greece greece is fucking everything up 
And we don't want to keep on paying the bills for the trifling ass cousin who don't want to contribute to the family. You know, so really, if you want to understand what it means to create like strong coalitions, um, some of the weakest links do have to be cut off, you know, and it's, it sucks to, to do that. But but, you know, at the very least, if you have children and stuff like that, you can raise your children so that they understand their role in being a part of of a system or part of a group. You know, um, but that requires a certain degree of empowerment. Like, so that old slave talk, like, I'm not worthy. I can't do nothing on my own. I'm, I just, I just a broken, busted black person. I can't breathe. Hands up. Don't shoot. You know, black lives matter. Woe is me. Like, oh, it's so hard to be black. Like that sort of mindset. What that does is that creates a victim who doesn't see himself or herself as a capable member of the group who can actually bring something to the table. It's like a basketball game. Imagine if you're playing on the basketball team with Michael Jordan and you're, you're on the Chicago Bulls. And imagine, you know, you, you see Jordan scoring all the points and you think Jordan's going to help the team win a championship. Well, one of the problems that the Bulls had was that the players, you know, they didn't have the same confidence as, as Jordan. And they, and they would see Jordan do these amazing things. And sometimes they would stand around and watch Jordan score all the points. Well, if they ran into a team that could actually stop Michael Jordan, they couldn't beat that team because the other players, when they got the ball, they would throw it out of bounds or they would miss the shot or whatever, right? And and, and in a way, like, you know, when you have this superhero model of black leadership where we've got one black person who's like this amazing, this amazing, you know, like almost Jesus-like figure who is, is elevated above everybody else. And then what happens is you get a lot of victim-minded people who sit around and say, save me, save me, save me you know, help me. I, I'm struggling. I can't do anything on my own. I don't, you know, or I, I can't, you know, I, I need you to do everything for me for and do it for free. I need you to do it for free because I was a lowly Negro and I can't contribute nothing. And then these same people who are expecting support for free from their superhero won't, you know, they'll go spend money, their money with white people. Like they'll go out and they'll buy stupid consumer items. But then when they want to go to the community center to get, you know, reading training for their children, they, they, they can't afford that. They can't afford the book, but they can afford the bottle of liquor. They can afford the Air Jordans. And that mindset is what plays a part in that. It's because you've been trained to believe that you're nothing but a victim. And a victim does not believe that they are powerful enough to actually move the needle. A victim does not feel like they are an asset to the group. A victim feels like they, they need to be saved by the group, right? So you don't need people that have this weird... Um, savior like i need a savior complex because people like that are not good to have on your team there it's like it's like michael jordan playing basketball and having teammates who don't believe they're capable of doing anything well because i can't do what michael jordan does i can't do anything well the, you know a good coach would say no you can do something you can box out you know when, when he's when he's going to the hoop you can box your your your, your player out you can stand under the basket and get the rebound you can play some defense you can get open in case he can't shoot the ball and he can pass the ball to you right you have to have empowered people so that so when you raise your children it's really important that you don't raise these you know little weak ass broken ass black boys who think they can't do shit this happens a lot when you get little boys especially boys that don't have father figures or male role models they literally some of them literally just don't think they can really add anything of value to the family they don't feel obligated to do that so they're just kind of there kind of wasted space um i deliberately go out of my way to tell my kids like you can do something 
everybody in the family that benefits from the family should be contributing to the family. If you can't contribute, then you should not benefit. You know, and, and I think that that's important because what you're doing when you do that is you're creating an economy within your family. And I've seen families do this where you raise, you know, four or five kids that are really empowered and really smart and really committed and really dedicated and really believe in their own self-worth. And then they come together and they become an unstoppable unit because if one of them don't get you, the other one will. If one of them doesn't get the win, then somebody else will. So you have to be empowered. So that, so a lot of this victim talk, slave talk that you get, whether it's from church or you're getting it from Democratic Party who says, oh, you just lowly Negroes, we're, we're here to save you. Like all of that stuff is absolutely contradictory to black power. It's contradictory to the ability to form empowered coalitions of individuals that are capable of going out here and conquering the world. So I hope that this makes sense. Give me a yes or no if this makes sense. I know I talked for a long time. I'm, I'm about to end this conversation, but this is, these are my thoughts that are in my brain today. And, uh, and that's, that's how my brain works. Um, I, I, I want to be a winner. I don't want to be a loser and I don't want you to be a loser. I want you to be a winner. And I just want to remind you that you, that you can win. There's nothing you can't do. Um, you know, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're fighting through. I don't know what you're working with, but the solution is out there. The solution is out there. So go find the solution that works for you. That's going to make you successful. And if I can be of help in that process, um, I'd be happy to do that. All right. So anyway, guys, I'm about to go. Uh, if you want a free copy of my book, of that book, I just described, go to allblackeconomics.com. And, uh, also if you want to get text and notifications, you can also text the word voice to 31996. And uh, just in case you are interested, um, we also have some financial workbooks and stuff for kids. So in the Black Business School, we have a program, blackmillionaireswithtomorrow.com, where you can actually put your kid in business school. Um, that's one of the power plays for the Black community that I think will make a big difference in the next generation, at least for your family, is if your child is trained on wealth at the same time other kids are being trained on football, basketball, and, and rapping and twerking and all this other stuff, your child's going to be really successful economically. So if you want to know who the future millionaires are, um, it's, the, it's these parents whose kids are like 10 years old and they're running lemonade stands or their nine-year-old daughter is, is selling makeup or they got the 13-year-old boy who's investing in stocks. These are the families that are going to have not just more money than most black people. They're going to have more money than most white people. A child who actually, um, when you, if you start investing for that child, say, when they're really young, like two or three years old, and then you teach them basic wealth principles, it's very easy for the child to become a millionaire. I know people talk about it like it's so hard and so impossible. And maybe it's, it's simple. It comes off as simple to me because I'm a finance professor and I've broken down all the equations and, and really studied this and thought about this for a long time, for 30 years. Um, but I can just tell you that if you do basic things for your kids when they're young, your kids will have more money than most white people will because I've studied the behavior of white people, the economic behavior of white people, and they're not the gods that you think. Um, I know that you're taught to believe that they're perfect, but not. Um, they make a lot of economic mistakes. And the thing is that if you're a shark, if your child is a shark and they know how to do strong business deals, you know, baby, economics is warfare. Business is war. If your child is a shark who understands how to be prepared for war, then what's going to happen is they're going to see opportunities. And when those opportunities emerge, they're going to jump right on them. The word poor stands for passing over opportunities repeatedly passing over opportunities repeatedly. So a lot of our people, because they either don't have the training, they never took the time to learn, or nobody ever encouraged them to learn, or they don't have the discipline, or they fall into a victim mentality, they remain poor because they pass over opportunities repeatedly. Whereas the kids who are sharks, the children who are investors and things like that, like Constance Carter, uh, who's a great lady with a fly Nubian queen, uh, she, you know, she trained her son how to invest in stocks and things like that. 
kids, parents whose kids are sharks, they're the ones who see opportunities when they emerge and they say, oh, you can't pay your mortgage. Well, I'll buy your house. Just take 30% off the price. Or, oh, there's a market crash. Oh, I can go out and buy a lot of stock really, really cheap because I've been saving my cash just for a time like this. Or, oh, you have this opportunity where we can make money selling cookies, you know, at, at, at the job every day. Well, let me go ahead and pull up $3,000 so we can start start a baking business and generate an extra $20,000 a year. You follow me? So people that under that have economic training at an early age, they tend to be able to spot opportunities. And when they can spot opportunities, they're able to, to benefit from the fact that other people can't spot those same opportunities or, or, or less disciplined people give them opportunities. It's the same way Arab people come into your community and they see an opportunity that they say, oh, black people spend money like crazy because they think they're poor, but they go spend, spend all this money every day. So I'll just set up a little corner store and just milk these suckers dry. Economics is war. And in many cases, some of, some, of, some of our people just lose the war and don't understand why they're losing the war. Well, I'm telling you how to win the war. So make sure your kids are ready. Make sure they're trained. So if you'd like to uh, take a look at our program, feel free to do that. There's the URL right there, blackmillionaireswithtomorrow.com. The first month is actually a dollar. So you can either do a lifetime access thing or you can actually do a monthly thing. Um, the first month you could try for a dollar. And if you don't like it after 30 days, we can give you a dollar back. So, uh, but it don't, it, then it goes to $89 a month. So it's up to you if you want to stay or not. Um, a lot of parents are really happy with the program. Okay, guys. So do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button, hit the thumbs up, share and subscribe button. Uh, also, um, I, have been talking for such a long time, but I had a lot on my mind. So thank you for letting me get off that, get that off my chest. Um, have a good day guys <clears throat> and, uh, work hard and I love you and I will see you soon. And uh, on the black financial channel, I will give you updates on what's going on in the stock market. So you can follow the Black Financial Channel on Instagram or the theblackfinancialchannel.com. So uh, take a look there as well, because um, once the bell hits and the, the stock market opens, I'll kind of give you my assessment of what I'm seeing over there. So take care. Talk to you soon. Have a good day. Peace.